Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. So anyway, let's talk about, we, you, I'm, I'm, you know me, there's very few things that I will not talk about. And if I don't want to talk about it, I'll make it clear and that's, that's why I knew I had to get you out here. Okay. This is Song Cycle, where we gab with cool people who bring their innovative ideas and projects to life to contribute to a more vibrant society through song. I'm your host, Sam Martin, founding artistic director of Cincinnati Song Initiative. Let's get into it. Whether it's performers with amazing stories from the stage, entrepreneurs and administrators who work tirelessly to push our industry forward in exciting ways, composers with an eye toward the future of song, or anybody else in this big community, I want to hear from them and share their stories with you. All right, friends of the Song Cycle podcast, it brings me great pleasure to welcome our next guest and many of you probably know her have heard of her may have seen her perform here she is a renowned opera singer and recitalist mezzo-soprano stephanie blythe is one of the most highly respected and critically acclaimed artists of her generation her repertoire ranges from handel to wagner german leader to contemporary and classic american song Ms. Blythe has performed on many of the world's great stages, such as Carnegie Hall, the Metropolitan Opera, Covent Garden, Paris National Opera in San Francisco, Chicago Lyric, and Seattle Operas. Ms. Blythe was named Musical America's Vocalist of the Year in 2009, received an Opera News Award in 2007, and won the Tecker Award in 1999. Ms. Blythe has sung countless roles in many of the renowned opera houses in the U.S. and Europe, including the Metropolitan Opera, San Francisco Opera, Lyric Opera of Chicago, Seattle Opera, Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, and the Opera Nationale de Paris. She has also appeared with many of the world's finest orchestras, including the New York Philharmonic, Boston Symphony Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, Los Angeles Philharmonic, San Francisco Symphony, Philadelphia Orchestra, and many, many others. A frequent recitalist, Miss Blythe has been presented in recital with her collaborative partner, Warren Jones, in New York by Carnegie Hall in Stern Auditorium and Zankel Hall, Lincoln Center in both its Great Performer series at Alice Tully Hall and its American Songbook series at the Allen Room, Town Hall, the 92nd Street Y, and the Metropolitan Museum of Art. She has also been presented by the Vocal Arts Society and at the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., the Cleveland Art Song Festival, the University Musical Society in Ann Arbor, the Philadelphia Chamber Music Society, Shriver Hall in Baltimore, and San Francisco Performances. 
A champion of American song, Ms. Blythe has premiered several song cycles written for her, including 12 poems of Emily Dickinson by the late James Legg, Covered Wagon Woman by Alan Smith, and Vignettes, Ellis Island, also by Alan Smith, and featured in a special television program entitled Vignettes, An Evening with Stephanie Blythe and Warren Jones. Her musical theater credits include her appearance with the San Francisco Opera as Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd, and with the New York Philharmonic, as well as the Houston Grand Opera as Nettie Fowler in Carousel. She has performed her acclaimed American Song Sing-Along program, Sing America, with presenters such as the Tanglewood Music Festival and Carnegie Hall. On occasion, she moonlights as her alter ego, dramatic tenor Blithely Oratonio, and has been presented as such in opera and cabaret shows with Philadelphia Opera, the Bearded Ladies Cabaret, Resonant Bodies, and had a Lincoln Center debut in January 2020 on their American Songbook series in the Apple Room. I can't wait to talk about all of this. That is just a fraction <laughs> of her bio. Welcome, Stephanie Blythe. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you. Very nice of you to include so many lovely things. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about you um, and with you and hear about all your uh, amazing ideas on this career and in industry and uh, things like that. You bring such good perspective. But first, let's go back to uh, the very beginning to get a glimpse of you and how this sort of really versatile performer emerged. So, uh, what what was your musical childhood and upbringing like and and you know how did that influence things going forward i am the child of a jazz musician and a language interpreter my mother was uh was german and spoke uh, spoke several languages um my father was uh, uh was a jazz musician and worked in the hotels in the Catskill region when you wanted to of new york so when you wanted to stay at home and raise a family and still play jazz that's what you did. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had a, 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 I heard a lot of, um, I heard a lot of jazz and big band growing up from my dad. And I heard a lot of opera and symphonic music from my mother um, who loved all of that. Um, and I was very fortunate because I grew up uh, in Monticello, New York going to their through their school system and had amazing music teachers all the way through. So I sang in I sang in choruses and I sang in uh, I sang in musicals, I did plays. Um, I was really, really fortunate and I ended up going um, to get a music uh, a music education degree at SUNY Potsdam at the, at the Crane School of Music. Uh, start, I did that I went there to start in 1987. And very long story short, I graduated with an English degree in 1991, and then I finished <laughs> my music degree in 1992. So I have two undergraduate degrees. I in 1993, I won was one of the winners in the Met National Council auditions, and uh, for the 94-95 season, I started singing at the Metropolitan Opera, and that's basically how it all went. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, so that was kind of a rocket ship situation. While you were growing up, yeah, who uh, you were doing all these different musical activities. Were you mm -hmm. listening to recordings of different people and different styles? I was listening to. It's interesting. I the other day I was listening to uh, watching a documentary on Sergio Mendes in Brazil '66, and that was my in, that was my introduction to vocal music. Hmm. Lanny Hall was my intro introduction to music, vocal music. My father didn't like singers, 
So we didn't have a lot of vocal acts on record. Interesting. Um, but we did have, uh, we did have Sergio Mendes in Brazil 66, Fool on the Hill. And my, uh, it's so funny because they talk about it in this, in this documentary, but my, my elementary music teacher, his name was Dominic Dorio. He was a great pianist, really hip guy. And what we sang from, you know, first grade through fifth grade was all Beatles tunes. He taught us all the Beatles tunes. So we were singing versions of Fool on the Hill and Obla Di Obla Da and Maxwell <laughs> Silverhammer and all of them. And um, I loved Fool on the Hill. And so I was looking through my dad's records and I was, I was eight years old when this happened. And I saw this album and it said Fool on the Hill. And I thought, I know that song. So I put it on and I heard Lanny Hall singing Fool on the Hill. And I absolutely, something happened in my brain that just exploded. Wow. And it just woke up something in me that never turned off. And it was about rhythm and it was about anticipation and it was about, it was about suspense and it was, it was about sex and, and beauty. And it was, <laughs> and you know, a, just this amazing tapestry of everything yeah. that I love about music. And then I found a recording that he had of the four freshmen. And I started listening to them singing day by day. And I was, I was just totally knocked out. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was so exciting. So that was the music that really woke me up. And uh, I didn't start singing anything that would be considered classical until I got into high school. And then my choral teacher, Martin Banner, who was, um, was absolutely brilliant at conducting high school chorus, amazing, but also a, a brilliant arranger and, and has many, many, many arrangements that are out there for SATB choir. Um, he was the one who really, who, who insisted that I sing. My father didn't want me to sing. I wasn't allowed to be in the chorus in junior high. Wow. But when I went into, because I played the flute, my father taught me the flute. And so because I had a flute, I had to be in the band. Um, so when I got into high school, our freshman year, they did Once Upon a Mattress uh, by Mary Rogers. And I was there I was in English class and Steve Rovitz, my band director came in and said, Hey, we're doing this. We're having auditions. This is what it's about. Come on. If you want to come on. So I got permission to audition for that. And I was cast as Agravain in once upon a mattress and everything changed after that. <laughs> I just, I, I became so enamored with the stage. I loved being on stage. I loved singing on stage. I loved singing with a band. I loved the process of putting something together. Mm -hmm. I adored rehearsal. I still adore rehearsal. And so that's really what, what got all of my musical juices flowing. Right. And, and, and funny enough, years and years and years later, I'm at, I'm with the New York Phil um, doing Carousel. And during one of our, you know, dress rehearsals, um, Ted Chapin, who is the head of the, um, Hammerstein Society was sitting out in the audience and I went out to say hello to him and there was a lovely woman sitting with him and he introduced me to Mary Rogers. Oh my God. And I don't, I mean, I just, <laughs> I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. And I, I just, I took a breath and I said, Ms. Rogers, I just want you to know that you're the reason that I'm here today 
because, and I told her the whole story. And she said, so you learned how to sing in 5-4 because the one tune Agravain has is in 5-4. And I said, yes, I had to. She said, you know how I learned how to sing in 5-4. She said, I put my hand behind my back and I just count one, two, three, four, five. I, and, you know, she passed away not long after that, like just a few months after that. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to thank the person who was truly responsible for me wanting to sing. And that was an incredible gift. And what has been shocking to me through my, through the past 30 years of singing, we're coming up on 30 years. Um, I have had an opportunity to work with people and uh, to work with, to coach with, to sing with, to study with people that I have admired since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I've always taken the opportunity to say, hey, this is what you did for me. This is the gift you gave to me with this recording or with this performance or, you know, with this comment that you made or with this article. And that is for me, that's one of the, one of the most exciting things that's, that's happened over the last 30 years is I've been able to say thank you to so many people who've made a huge difference in my life. So that's where it all started. That's, that's where it all started. It's pretty incredible, especially with Mary Rogers, that story. Uh, I mean, honestly, really, I, I couldn't believe it. It, it doesn't it doesn't get better than that. All right. So you so you straddle so many different genres so expertly. Um, you sing, you know, song in a lot of different styles and genres, song in the general sense. I mean, you've you've sung on the stage of the Met, you've you've done opera all your life, you've sung symphonic rep. Mm -hmm. I mean, to you what is it that song can can do that maybe ha the, the other genres have a more difficult time doing or can't even come close to touching? What? It, wh why would you choose to do a song program in a certain instance versus go sing an opera role? Let me frame it that way. What can you do with song? Well, I mean, I think that that I will. I I my answer would probably be the same answer that any any recitalist would give, and that is that. And that is that the music is so text forward, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And I agree with that one hundred percent. And certainly, I would that that is the that is the that boilerplate answer is very important. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes song so important to me and so important to so many performers is that it's the one place we can go where we can make really personal statements. And we can make them in a way that is safe mm. and that also invites other people to, to that same place so that they can have that experience. Mm -hmm. There isn't, I mean, I don't know anybody who really loves song, who gets up in a recital and doesn't have some sort of spiritual experience doing it. If you're really doing it, if you're up there to sing because you really want to say something and not just because you want to hear the sound of your own voice, there's no way that you're going to walk off that stage and be the same person who walked on it. Yeah. Every single time, every single time, there is going to be something you're going to learn about yourself. If you don't learn something about yourself, you learn something about your partner, you learn something about your audience. You learn something about the songs every single time. It doesn't matter how many times you've sung them. It's always going to be different. Now, opera is different in that 
you can bring what you can of yourself into a role. You can bring in, there, there are certainly ways that you can use your own experiences to, to fill out a, a character, to broaden the, the scope of a character. But with song, it's like putting on, you know, it's like putting on a glove versus putting on a mitten. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just more specific. And it is the, there is something about it. There's something about, I mean, I don't look, if you, if you just sit down with a book of poetry and you read a poem, you will be changed. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you've read a million poems or you've never read a poem. Mm -hmm. If you read the, and I don't care what it is, it can be Wordsworth. It can be Shel Silverstein. It doesn't matter. Right. When you read something, when you recite something aloud, all of a sudden, something different fires in your brain. It, something different fires in your imagination. There's a soul brain connection that happens that is that is this real reason that is the sole reason that poetry is powerful it was powerful then it's powerful now language is extraordinary and because it is the bridge between the heart and the mind and so this when you have this expression when you have this when you have a person who expresses perfectly something that you are experiencing and then you put on top of it someone's someone's interpretation of that experience with music mm -hmm. oh and mm -hmm. then you bring your experience mm -hmm. into both of those things mm -hmm. man it is it is incredibly exciting I think that artists who don't explore that part of music, uh, they shortchange themselves and they shortchange the audience because I don't know a single performer, not one, not one that doesn't have something to say. Every single performer out there has something to say. It's why they're doing what they're doing. And, um, you know, there are all sorts of levels of intensity there. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. All sorts of levels of intensity. But if people did not have a need to be heard and a need to express how they feel, the Internet would not exist. So that that expression, the way we do it yeah. is just. It's like how we it's like, how do you what what how do you define an art song, Sam? What do you say? What makes an art song an art song? Well, uh, words set to music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, it's a, it's a matter of what, what everybody brings to the table with that. Right. But that's my general. Exactly. And yeah. the thing that, the thing that we all bring to the table at different levels and different skill sets is craft. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's just craft. Yeah. And I, well, I love your sort of global view of this of like every but like it, it, if people didn't need to express themselves the internet wouldn't exist wouldn't right exist. so mm -hmm. right and so this global idea that everybody in the world uh in some way or another can and needs to express themselves absolutely it's it's what avenue or through what craft do we mm -hmm. express ourselves right how yeah. interesting and it how doesn't and it doesn't matter you know it listen all all the internet all, all social media is right now 
It's just a larger sense of oral tradition. And I think that it doesn't matter what your medium is. It doesn't right. matter. I don't care what style of music is. it is. Mm -hmm. None of them is better than the other. None of right. them is more. I'm sorry. Every single thing we do takes a skill. Absolutely. Totally Every believe. single thing we do takes a skill. I'm not talking about levels of skill. I'm not talking about years of study. I'm not talking about any of that. Mm -hmm. I'm saying everything takes a technique. Everything. Mm -hmm. And as long as we all respect that, then we can get along and learn from each other. When people do not respect, nobody learns anything. So that's what I think about that. What's next? All right. So you're doing so. So you've got these amazing opinions, these amazing philosophies and views. <laughs> you are an amazing performer. And now you in the past couple of years have uh, really honed that in as a teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, and you took over as the artistic director of the graduate program, vocal arts studies program mm -hmm. at Bard, right? Yes. So um, from the great Dawn but, Upshaw, who developed yes, the program to begin with. Exactly. And hats off to her for that. So Absolutely. you I mean, I'm sure you did coaching and maybe some teaching. I don't really know before that, but this is like formal and structured. And so what are you doing with this program and 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 how are you enacting a vision through it? What what is it that you well, value? I've been, I've been coaching and teaching for quite a while, probably sure. since since 2011, when I started doing doing um, coaching at the Tanglewood Music Center, which is really the place where I I first learned all about song and and, yeah. and where I first really learned about how to sing, mm -hmm. and then I started my own my own vocal arts program up in um, up where you and I met up in Potsdam, New York, at the Crane School of Music. And that was that was Fall Island Vocal Arts Seminar. And then I start and then I, you know, just before the pandemic started, I only had one semester before the the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I that was serendipity. That was serendipity because, I, you know, I lost every singing contract I had for two years. Yeah. And so I still had a job and I'm very grateful for it. Um, I think that going going to bard was a was a very easy transition for me because the values that that vocal arts program expresses are are exactly my own mm -hmm. and the staff there the teaching staff the coaching staff the everyone involved in administration all work together hand in glove to make something that's very special and very individual um, I, I, before you and I started talking, I said, you know, I have, I have 14 grad students, total 14 grad students. It's a really boutique program. And so everybody gets a lot of individual, um, attention, uh, which is what I really love. I love the fact that I can work with every single one of those singers, um, and really get to know them and really get to know their, their tastes their history and help them to formulate a plan for their future yeah. through music and being part, being a part of that, that future and being a part of some of the beginning of somebody's um, journey is really, really exciting. It's important and it's an honor. And I love, love everyone, every single person I work with. And I'm fortunate to be um, surrounded by people who are truly, truly putting the student first.
Yeah. And I think that if you can't put students first, if you can't put students ahead of your own ego, then you shouldn't be teaching. Sure. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And so, and I've learned a lot over the years, man. I have learned a lot. I've learned a sure. lot from, I learned a lot from being a young artist at the Met and watching people teach, mm-hmm. watching people coach. I learned what I didn't want to do, what kind of teacher I didn't want to be. I also learned I didn't want to be a voice teacher. Mm. I am mm. not a voice teacher. And I've said this many times in public. I have no desire to have a studio because I'm not that kind of, I'm not that kind of, I don't have that. Uh, I, I just don't have it for that. I, I, I admire teachers beyond belief because they, they have an investment in their students that is, that should be um, unparalleled in terms of the, in terms of their vocal development. Right. And you need to be there every moment for them because their voices and their brains and their uh, their skill sets are changing daily. And you have to be available for that. And as a working teacher, as a as a performing teacher, I know that I can't do that. Yeah. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to devote myself to that arm of education. Sure. I can be a good coach. I'm like I've said many times, I'm a great aunt. Give me your kids and I'll work <laughs> with them for the day and then you can take them back. You know, that's what I do. I'm not a Sherpa and that's what teachers have to be. And so um, I'm honored to be at Bard because the, the, the whole ethos of that conservatory is about teaching people to be self-sufficient, teaching mm-hmm. people to be uh, teaching artists to be entrepreneurial teaching people to be self-sufficient and mm-hmm. that's you know that's the name of the game 100 percent. and i and i we, i want to come back to that and i know you have plenty of opinions on that matter and i think we should hit on it we'll we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that you mentioned okay. fall island vocal arts seminar in, in uh, yeah. potsdam and um this is a program that ran for nine years mm-hmm. i was lucky enough to come and learn from you and alan smith there in 2019, which I guess was the last year before pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephanie, just tell tell the good listeners what this program was all about, because I can attest and will confirm that it was transformational and completely unique and one of a kind. I mean, six days, seven days, one week in, out, life-changing you wouldn't think that's possible in one week's time and yet it was so stephanie what was the well, I, vocal arts seminar i will say that you can't you can never shortchange the ability of music to change lives mm-hmm. you just can't you'll never you can never you can never sell poetry short mm-hmm. by saying it won't change lives as i've already said it will mm-hmm. and when you put the two of them together it just makes it it just it's brilliant the 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 whole ethos of the program was to teach singers and pianists to be autonomous interpreters of art and to encourage young artists to get out and perform new music. And so everyone that every, everything that was performed there were all, was all living composers, all mm-hmm. living composers. Mm-hmm. It was a very, it was six singers and three pianists it was coachings every single day. It was master classes every single day. It was lectures. It was performances. It was a final performance. It was people 
living together in a dorm on a college campus in the <laughs> middle of the North country with nothing else to do, but to, but to, you know, to celebrate, um, to celebrate vocal music and, and, a, and the collaborative art. Mm -hmm. And I did this program, uh, began the program with my mentor and friend, Carlene Graham, who was my opera uh, director at Potsdam College at Crane School of Music when I was a student there. Mm. She was, it was the first school that she taught at, and I was there. Um, my last two years were her first two years. And we've remained friends ever since. And she's, she's taught me more about stagecraft than anybody I've ever worked with. Wow. And, um, and at one point back in 2011, or maybe it was 2010, I care, it took us a couple of years to get it going. She said, um, Stephanie, I, are you ready to do this? Do you want to have a, a program? Because if you're ready to do it, I'm, I would like to help you. And I was like, okay, fabulous. I'm there. Buckle up. I'm there. Yeah. And we did it. And we brought on, in my mind, one of the greatest coaches of collaborative piano and, uh, and voice ever, Alan Lewis Smith the brilliant teacher, brilliant pianist, brilliant composer, um, brilliant human being, one of my best friends in the entire world, one of my, one of my favorite collaborative, um, collaborative artists that I work, I've worked with mm -hmm. um, and who's composed some of the most important music I've, I've ever sung mm -hmm. and who continues to compose for me. I mean, it's, just, it's an amazing relationship, which we started at, at Tanglewood, actually. So we did this program for for nine years, and we were stopped cold by by um, by the pandemic, and that's okay. That's okay. It's all right. I don't I don't mourn uh, Fall Island because it was the beginning of something, and I know that it is going to become something else. Mm. Um, I have plans to put together another summer program um, at Bard, and. Um, and just stay tuned. It will happen. But I, I am very grateful to everyone, um, whoever, to Audrey Saccone and to Dan Mertzloff and to every single person who, who, who put energy into that program mm -hmm. because it was, I think it, I think it had long tentacles. It sure did. I still get really lovely, um, messages from from folks who studied with us oh yeah i mean yeah. and I, I i know i'm still in touch with other participants from my year and i only imagine it's the same for for other years before that oh, and yeah. it was so so rewarding but also informative and such growth happened and um also i mean all the rep was contemporary american but also mm -hmm. you featured a specific living composers yes. here and we had a, spe yes. a special concert for their music and they came. Yes, exactly. Right. They, yes, they would come and we would do a special concert of, of their mm -hmm. music and we will also do, a, we'd also do, also do a Q and a with them. Right. And then we, we also developed over time, we developed a program for, uh, for working, you know, for teaching professionals, for coaches and teachers to come yeah. and they would, uh, they would have their, they would be able to attend all the, 
the same things that the singers and pianists did. And then they would have their own master class and they would have their own lecture class, which was run by the amazing uh, Gary Bush, who, I mean, Gary would do these amazing lectures that were, uh, in, that were informed and illuminated by performers. It started off being the young artists, the, the fellows would do these performances, and then it ended up being these auditors mm -hmm. who would come and do it. And it was so much fun. Um, and I think, made, I think made a really big difference to people. I think that it was, I've also had really great feedback from that. Yeah. Um, but we had wonder we had wonderful uh, composers there, and I um, that with that was something that started after after a couple of years. Some really mm. wonderful things developed, and I'm I'm incredibly incredibly proud of the of what not just what those of us who administered this you know, but I'm so proud of the of the singers and pianists that came through that program. And, and look at you, you know, I mean, you carry, no, but you carry the torch in such a, a beautiful way. Um, and it's, it's just amazing to see what you have accomplished and how you are continuing this, um, this legacy of song teaching. And it's, I'm really, I'm, I'm impressed and I'm so thrilled for everyone that gets to take advantage of your knowledge thank you uh i mean it, i i don't know what to say other than i guess it's just this i mean it's people like you and alan and these programs that inspire all of us who yeah. participate and then it just becomes this line you know absolutely and 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 before we leave this i also want to thank lorraine yara sullivan and david williams yeah who david, yeah. who who picked who picked it up um after carlene had to leave uh, after carlene left crane school of music um you know, David and, and uh, Lorraine and then David really, really did wonderful, wonderful work uh, for this program. And I'm, yeah. I'm very indebted to every single administrator and every single intern that came <laughs> through there and, yeah. and worked with us. They're everywhere. Okay, so let's pivot back to what the fuck are we going to do moving forward in this 21st century? You know, oh. do we need to try and continue to call this the classical music genre and industry? And if so, what do we need to welcome into the fold to keep it alive? Or do we just need to drop all the nomenclature and just put everything in a melting pot? What do up and coming artists need to embrace and welcome? And, and what do conservatories of ages gone by need to get their heads sorted out from? I think that one of the things that we now I am sure you can understand and imagine that I have been I'm just one of any number of, of, of people out there, both performers and educators who are trying to figure this out. Of course. And none of us are going to have the answer. None sure. of us will have the, there's no one answer to this. Of course. Of course. But I think that something that I have discovered is that. We cannot say to, we cannot say, okay, we have to completely pivot and we're going to turn right 
and everybody who, you know, we, well, I don't want to use the terms right and left here um, <laughs> because it's so friggin' volatile. Um, and I haven't turned right in a long time. Uh, uh, if, I think that we have to be very cognizant that the reason that the art is here right now today is because the people who have appreciated it yesterday. Mm -hmm. we have, classical music has been called classical music for a very long time. Why do we have to think about changing it? We don't. Mm -hmm. People, people in the world need categories. I'm sorry to say it. We yep. do. We need it in order to compare and contrast. Yeah. If you, I'm, and I've said this many, many times in the past. If you want to understand one thing, you have to understand another thing to compare it to the thing so that you understand the thing. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. You, you, it's important that we have categories. I say all the time, you know, that I don't subscribe to the Fox system. So people who don't understand what the Fox system is, Fox. F-A-C-H is how we separate the voices in terms of their tessitura and range, okay? So bass, baritone, tenor, blah, 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 soprano, mezzo-soprano, and then all the things in between. Right. No, I don't subscribe to that. I don't. But I do recognize that people have to have categories. Mm -hmm. They're not for me. But other people have to have them, and because mm -hmm. and I and I have to fit in people's categories. Otherwise, they don't know what to do with me. Right, right. So I, as a, as an artist, I find myself in, in as many categories as as pleases me, or as I can, or as I can be uh, effective. All right. So I think the idea of classical music, which covers so much, right you know, which covers Baroque to 12 tone. It is, it, it's everything. Um, I think it's like trying to define art song, which for me has always been defined in terms of craft. We've already talked about this. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a different kind of craft. There's no reason that we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. What, what is important is that we incorporate new things into this. Mm -hmm. we can't be exclusive right we have to be open we have to be welcoming of different ideas of different interpretations do we have to love them all no do mm -hmm. you love everyone in the world no i certainly don't right right do we have to love every kind of food do we have to love every kind of uh television show or or uh, or plant or house or any, you know, all the things that we have in our lives. We all have things that we prefer. Okay. That's kind of elementary. No, but I mean, hop but off. We, like that's, that's we it. Have, we have to recognize that we cannot be, we cannot exist as an art form unless we invite others to be a part of it. Yep. We can't. And in that invitation, we can't say, well, everybody who's already been here, fuck off. Right. We're right. going in a new direction. That right. can't happen either. Right. We have to, we have to, because let's, let's be honest, okay? Um, 
Vivaldi is here today. He was here yesterday and many yesterdays before that. Mm-hmm. And he will be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think it, and, and you can say that about any many, many composers down, down the line in every kind of form. You know, I sing a lot of Johnny Mercer right now. Johnny Mercer's been here since his inception. He's going to be here tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after that. He will continue to be here because it's a craft that people enjoy. Right. 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 Not everybody likes Johnny Mercer songs and not everybody likes Vivaldi. Doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And the argument that you're making and this argument, you know, for 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 fear of getting put into hot water, but I think the concepts are all the same as in politics. And when anything needs to evolve, you to your point about you can't just tell everybody who's been here on the train from yesterday or last year. Mm-hmm. You can't just punt them. Mm-mm. And make it go away. You can't just burn the house down. You can't just have this like revolution overnight and think that everything in a sustainable way will be changed for the future. Those well, things, those th- those kinds of events mm-hmm. can move the needle. But if you zoom out, they end up being part of a larger fabric mm-hmm. of incremental change. Yes. And that is how you sustainably change something. Absolutely. And in the moment that you're experiencing it, you cannot be, you cannot, it, it's very difficult for people to zoom out. Yes, it's of course. It's very difficult for people to think about what's going to, where we, what's this going to look like in 25 years? Yes. I can tell you some of the stuff we're looking at right now in 25 years, God knows what they're yes. going to be writing about it. Yeah. But what, but when it comes to music, the, we, all you have to do is look at a timeline, just look at a timeline. All you, when it, you know, Gary, I was talking about Gary Bush earlier, who was mm-hmm. one of my, one of the best teachers I've ever had ever. He, I took art song um, history with him and, and he always encouraged us to, to create timelines so that when you looked at a kind of music or you looked at a piece of music, you didn't just look at that music, but you looked at what influenced the creation of that music. What's mm. happening? What's happening internationally? What's happening mm-hmm. in, in uh, what's happening in art? What's happening in, in politics? What's happening uh, in, in culture, in industry? In society? Right. So, yes. What right. is influencing this? And all through history, I mean, this is really elementary stuff, but you, but but we don't think about it. People much. don't think about it. Is yeah. That all all of this music that we have today comes from an ancestor. Mm-hmm. It comes from an ancestor, and one of the most important things that we have to remember, and this I this I discovered, or was brought home to me. Uh, by my drag director, John Jarbo, who, who, who changed my life in many respects. And John always said, has always said, you must respect the ancestor. I don't love everything that came before me. And I'm sure that, it, that, that, uh, that, that I will be in a list of things that people didn't love. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. We're all yes. just, a, we're all just a part of a, of a big fabric. Right. Or as the as the minister who presided over my wedding, a tapestry. Very, <laughs> yes, a mosaic. <laughs> uh, very good wedding. Very good wedding work. work. Yeah. But it. But the thing is, is that we we cannot we as as creators today, we have to respect what came before, in order to understand where we're going. Mm-hmm. You have to know who you were. 
before you can go forward. And that's, man, that's just therapy. That's sure. just, it, that's just, that's just musical therapy. Yeah. Because until I, until I understood what made me tick as a human person, I could not move forward. And the minute I was able to accept who I was, I could be who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we, what we have here in music, what we right. have here in art and in, in, in any kind of creation. Right. It doesn't, rem- it doesn't matter what the medium is. Right. Right. And, in, and we, and, but, but the thing is, is that when we're talking about art and we're talking about opera or paintings or song or rock, it doesn't matter, rock and roll, rap, it doesn't matter, hip hop, doesn't matter what it is, country, Western, doesn't matter. We have to also keep in mind the people who are, who are absorbing it from us. We have to think of the audience. We have to think of who's hearing it, who is looking at it, who is who it, because those people are specifically affecting the way we create of course so it's a it's a very very twisted it, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts here right and right. for us just to say well we've got to we've got to move on and we got to think of the future and we've got to i i agree with that 100% but we cannot alienate what was Mm-hmm. We have to we have to recognize when things worked and when they didn't. We have to recognize when things were right and when they were wrong. Mm-hmm. And yep. we have to learn from success and we have to learn from mistakes. Yep. And and grow stronger and be and, and speak to more people. Yeah. You know? Um, God, and that I'm sure that sounds super crunchy and, and, you know, no, like no, you have to, you have to go through that work and this Absolutely. is back to, this is harder work in the long yes. run than, yes. than going about it from the, let's burn it all down. Ha- then you, what? Absolutely. You, you, absolutely. you th- this is harder work and it takes more time, but is the only way to come out sustainably. It is. And the thing is, is that, you know, the people who are doing great creation today, the people there's, there is, and I used to say this in Fall Island all the time, some of the greatest music ever written is being written right now. Mm-hmm. So we can't allow our passion for the past obliterate our curiosity for the future. Right. That's a t-shirt, man. It sure is. You know, it sure is. We really have to, we have to, uh, we have to embrace it all. And that's right. why when you, you know, when you're working with, the, when you're working with young singers, which is something I can, that's, that I can speak to with some sort of um, authority. Mm-hmm. They, ha- you have to know how to sing before you can, you know, before you can break out of the box. Right. And the problem is, is that we have a lot of people who have a lot of very passionate feelings. And I, man, I am there with you. I am a very passionate person. And I tell you what, this pandemic just about killed me. It just about killed me because I had no outlet for right. that passion. And yeah. man, it was, it's, why do you think I made so many oh, ukulele videos? <laughs> Which got uh, so many of us through, by the way. I mean, I just, I, I. I'm, I'm a creature that needs to create. I'm a creature that needs to communicate. I'm not myself if I'm not that person. Yeah. And I need people. 
And when I don't have them, I am not, I'm not, there's, it just feels like there's something wrong. Yeah. And so I'm not the only person who feels that way. And I know that if that is the thing that makes us think about the future of art, if that is the thing that makes people think about opera and recitals and so on and so forth, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, cabaret or it doesn't matter. If we are constantly thinking about that, how can I make one person feel less alone? Mm -hmm. How can I make one more person feel that I understand them? Mm -hmm. Or that I am putting myself in a place where I can hear you. Mm -hmm. Then you can hear me. And that, that's what's fucking wrong with us today. Yeah. Just in general. That's what's wrong with us. Because yeah. we cannot put ourselves in that place. We cannot look at, we cannot look at our neighbor and go, God, I am so, I, what can I do? to make you feel less alone? What can I do to make you feel more important and more special? And what can I do to, to elevate humanity? Right. Rather than bitch about what's wrong with it. Right. What can I do to help you and not tear you down and not make you feel like you don't belong? Because every single one of us in the arts is there for that reason. And I don't give a crap who you are you are there because you didn't want to be alone every single person who's ever written it played it sung it listened to it that's why we listen to music we listen we read poetry we read literature we look at a painting we walk in nature we do all of this because we don't want to be alone mm -hmm. and i think that if we can look at art that way and granted, it's very esoteric. Yes, I'm not. What I'm saying to you has nothing to do with money. Mm -hmm. It has to do with soul, and it has to do with art. It has to do with the with the with the kernel of creation. I also recognize that it needs money. It needs support. It needs backing, and that's very difficult to get. And we can't do it without it. We can we can do some things, but but things that are very far reaching need money. Um, and that's why it's so incredibly important that we continue to support art, not just wait for somebody else to do it, but get out there and do it ourselves. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's, it's a conundrum, man. It's a conundrum. It's not, there's no one who's going to have a single answer. No one. And anybody who tries to tell you they have the answer is lying. Yep. They are lying because they want you to listen to them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Where do we hear that? So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all in this boat together, yep. whether we, whether we know it or not. I mean, yes, you're right. No are. one has the answer. We, we got to, we, uh, we are together. That's the thing that we have to remember that yeah. we are together. That does not mean that we have to accept all the bullshit. We can call it out, call it out. Absolutely. And artists need to call it out. That's mm -hmm. our job. Mm -hmm. Call it out. There's tons of bullshit going on. Call it, tell it, tell, tell people this is what it is. But we have to find a way to communicate our, our essence, our being, what is important about what we are performing. We have to find a way to do that that reaches the most people. Really reaches them. Because when it does, then they come back. Yep. But if it's all just flash, if it's all just production, if it's all just dress, 
if it's all that, if it's all the trappings, it it's it cannot just be about that. It has to partially be about that, but it can't that cannot be the kernel of what it is. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, you, you what you said before about audiences needing buy-in. I mean, and they're part of the ecosystem of whether they know it or not, they're helping make the decision. And you know how many times how many times after a recital? I've I've met people after recital and I've thanked people individually yes. for their for their for what they did for a particular song. They're like, you could see me? You saw me? Yeah. Of course I saw you. I insist that the lights are up so I can see you. People in the audience, they they don't a lot of people don't recognize the incredible importance they 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 have they um the role they, they play. Yeah. Yeah. Audiences can turn they can turn something into something miraculous right you know it can go the other way too of but course I've, I've rarely seen that I've, I've i've generally seen audiences that have elevated a show or elevated a concert and i think that it's important that we we help people to understand the the their contribution yeah the audience contribution you're talking to a kid whose mother could not carry a tune mm -hmm. she could whistle really well but she couldn't <laughs> sing but my mother was the biggest cheerleader for art than right. for my art in particular uh and she made a huge difference to my career to my the trajectory of my career because i at, at very at a very young age i had somebody there who was saying you know i believe you can do this and i love what you're doing and I'm going to highlight every single thing that's ever written about you that's good. That's good. I, I never had a review in my <laughs> scrapbook that my mother gave me that wasn't full of highlighting. I was like, Mom, really? It says, it says you don't have to hide. No, no, no. Everyone has uh, to know. Yeah. No, you're absolutely very right. Very important. Yeah. So what were, I mean, this was all very amazing and conceptual. What is a, a piece of advice to the young or emerging artist that wants to incorporate song into their career and and pursue and and open up their their lives into this 21st century art form that we have in our hands what's your advice to them to be successful themselves and to ensure something of a sustainable career but also how can they best reach audiences of today it's oh it's been true for a very very long time that people who wanted to have any kind of recital career had to be successful in opera. I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore, and I also think that we have to think about what is successful. Do we consider people successful only when they are full time singers, only when they make six, you know six seven figures, right? Um, or do we consider someone uh, someone successful who has presented music? that means something to them that has changed somebody's life. How do we, how do we measure success? Of course. It's very difficult to be any kind of performer. I don't care. I don't, I don't care what kind of performer we're seeing that right now with this strike that's going on. The SAG it's it, we, we this, this writer strike with the actors who are striking, we can see that there is so much more. There's so many more moving parts to this than what we actually see. Mm -hmm. and uh and sometimes the moving parts demand to be seen and understood i think that that same thing is true is, is being a young performer that you being a young singer it's important that we are seen it is important that we are understood it is important that we have something to say 
So we'd say, number one, have something to say, have a passion. Doesn't matter what, what that passion is. If, if the passion is you sing scales better than anybody else, that's your passion. Be passionate about it. Uh, you know, if you love contemporary music and you sing it particularly well, be passionate about it and get it out there. But the number one thing you have to be able to do is what you do. Whatever it is you do, you have to do it well. That the first thing you do, you can have something to say, but if you don't know how to say it, no one will get what you're what you're putting out there. You have to know how to do it. And so there's no, despite the fact that there are plenty of people out there who are very successful with little technique. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking just I'm not talking just about singers. I think it's important that we understand craft. No matter what that is. Because you can't tell me that there's anything out there that doesn't have craft. If it's successful, it does. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a really important thing. You have to have the foundation. You have to understand where you've where your music has come from. And you also have to have an understanding of how to present that. You have to be able to talk about your music. You can't just learn the notes and the words. You have to know how to talk about it. Right. I have not done a single concert in the last 25 years where I have not talked to my audience. It's incredibly important to do that. And I'm sure that there are people out there like, oh, God, can't she just shut up and sing? Fine. There's all, you know, we, we, we can't please everybody. And if that's the name of your game to please everybody, Wait. you're in the wrong. Yeah, you're sunk. You're sunk. You're, you're yeah. in the wrong gig. You know, it's it's interesting because I I I learned about that kind of work from uh, it's interesting from Don Upshaw because mm-hmm. Don Upshaw was one of the first singers I'd ever seen in recital who talked to her audience, who explained what the, what they were gonna, who verbally explained what they were gonna hear or what right. she felt about it, or gave us some history about it. Right, right, anything. And also the the people who who for me really make a difference there were were people who connected with their audiences in a very special way, like jazz singers, mm-hmm. popular music singers, people like my idol, Sammy Davis Jr. or like Frank Sinatra or Pino. There was something, There's it's always been, and it's not about being ingratiating, it's about being honest. Of course. It's about being honest and people can tell when it's real and when it's not. 100%. Absolutely, you can feel it. You can, 100%. You can feel yeah. it. You can just feel it coming from the audience. Yep. Because, they're just like, oh man, yeah, yeah. Um, but there, it's important for you not just to have a passion about what you're singing, but have a passion for helping people to understand what you are singing and why, what, why it is important. Not necessarily why, you know, it's important to you, but why that? Why is this piece important? Where does it come from? Or to, or just to do things like I do with what I've, I've done with Warren for so many years to do. Um, to do poetry recitation to help the audience to give the audience a chance to have a reaction to poetry which we don't get frequently these days it's true um but when i when i sing with craig terry and we do and we do cabaret music the to to be able to have banter with your pianist is very important yeah um, you know it's it people can see when i would sing with alan smith people could and with warren when people could feel the camaraderie there yeah. has to be there has to be a sense of ease yes um and yes. and and also um 
those are just some of the things I think. I mean, I could I could talk to you streak about this stuff. <laughs> no, this is it's brilliant. These are all the soft sort of things that we can often feel. Wait, right, but you remember before we did any kind of performing at Fall Island, one of the very first things we'd say to all of the performers, and Alan was the one who always brought this home. It's like you walk on a stage, look at each other, and smile. Let the audience see that you have a relationship. Yeah. That yeah. you like each other. And yeah. just do that. If you do that, then your audience immediately is going to be at a different level with you. Yep. Because you're putting everyone at ease. It becomes a friendly act. Yes. And I really do think that that performance is a friendly act. It doesn't have to be comfortable. And and many times when it's the subject matter, I mean, many times when stuff is difficult, when the subject matter is difficult or when it's when it's when the music is difficult or whatever, how it's being presented is friendly doesn't mean not thoughtful. Friendly just means I'm, I'm open to you and you're open to me. Right. So I, I think that that's that performers have to be able to show that. And I mean, show it all the time, especially in auditions and places like that, where you're, where you're introducing yourself to people straight up. You know, don't don't be afraid to show people who you are because they'll you know, it's it's just important. It's it's what it's what makes I think it's what creates real success. The the, the I'll say something. Renata Scotto who just passed away. When she walked down, the, when she walked down the corridor, you knew what she was all about. You didn't have to you did not have to hear her open her mouth. You knew what she was about because huh. she was she was on it, man. She was on it. Every day, she, I'm sure she got, I can just imagine her getting up and looking in the mirror and, and just going, you know, I'm going to get him today. This is the way she was and married that kind of determination and skill with a real generosity. Yeah. That's why when she died, I was, I was in the middle of, uh, I was in the middle of a Pilates lesson. I just finished doing something. I checked my phone. And I saw that she'd passed away and I just burst into tears. And I know I'm not the only one because she changed my life. She changed it personally, but I know she did the same for people who never even met her because everything she did, she did with purpose, determination and skill. And I think that, uh, that that is something that we have to hone as young artists. That's, that's something we can learn. We can really learn it. That, 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 you know, some people are born with extra moxie, but you can always develop it. Yeah. So you're so right. That's great advice. Thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up and, and okay. blithely say more. So blithely, um, I. Where know, to start? It, well, I know exactly where to start. Um, Bly, as I've said many times, Blythely Ortona was born in the basement of an, of an Episcopalian church on the Penn State campus in Philadelphia. That, you know, say that 10 times. And it would be an Episcopalian uh, church. It was an Episcopalian church. And yeah, with a daycare above. <laughs> so drag, drag queens working down in the basement. And I'm telling you, it, it was the most unbelievable, brilliant, wonderful loving, generous, talented, enterprising individuals I've, I think I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And um, this happened because David Devan, who um, 
is currently the the um, general manager of Philadelphia Opera, uh, and unfortunately just announced that that this will be his final season. I I saw him after a concert, and uh, and David <laughs> was standing there with a brilliant, wonderful human being named John Jarbo, who was the director of the Bearded Ladies Cabaret in Philly, and the magnificent, uh, sunny, uh, expressive, sexy Martha Graham Cracker, um, <laughs> the alter ego of Dito Van Rygersburg. And the, the fun part of that story is that Dito, Graham, Martha Graham Cracker, who was a character I only knew from video from YouTube videos. Dito is the son of Stephanie and Fernando Van Rygersburg, who were my host family when I was at Wolf Trap Opera. Wow. And they became a second family to me. And um, I loved them both. Um, Fernando, who is no longer with us, was an exceptional man, an exceptional support. And his phenomenal wife, Stephanie, is still one of my greatest friends. Right. And so the, he, so I had this opportunity to work with their son. Um, and I, I'm standing there uh, with these three people. And I said, you know, uh, David, I think I'd like to do, I'd really like to do a piece. I'd like to do a show with Martha Graham Cracker to benefit Phil Opera Philadelphia. Would you make that happen? And he said, yeah, I think I can. And almost a year to the day we did it. Nice. In Philly. And it was Becoming a drag artist, it felt very natural to me because that inclination had always been in me. Mm -hmm. Just as a as a performer, I've played many, many different people and I've right. played men before. But this isn't playing a man. This is allowing something that's within you to come out. And this 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 tenor was someone who had been within me for a very long time. And what happened was I met someone in John Jarbo and Martha and my amazing um, music director, Dan Kazemi. I, 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 I encountered something in those three people that gave me the tools to express something. And they became my teachers. And I will never be able to thank them enough. I will never be able to express clearly how freeing it is to just be allowed to explore anything you want to explore. Mm -hmm. You want to sing Barry Manilow? Great. Let's do that. You want to sing Puccini? Great. Let's do that. You want, I mean, to, to work with a music director, creating something, there's a, there's a, a, a decent port portion of one of the numbers that we do that is, an, that is entirely comes, it, it comes entirely from an, an improvisation that I did with Dan in a rehearsal. And I'm so proud of that music, you know, because it, it was born of something that from, from me, um, the music and the, and the, and the words and, and Dan created a song out of that. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's really wonderful. It's fun. It's freeing. It's, it's, uh, it's expressive in, in a completely exciting and new way. I adore singing with a band, a rock, with a rock band. I mm -hmm. absolutely love it. I love marrying opera to that genre because they just live together so beautifully. Nice. I really do.
Um, and there's just something grand and wonderful. And Bladley Ortonio, he's that that guy singer that's been sitting, you know, in me for a long time, ever since I was in college. And and people, you know, I, I sang in a community chorus in college. And I constantly had people coming to me and say, you sound like a tenor. You know, you <laughs> sound just like a tenor. Well, you know, there's a good reason for that. And I think that um, developing that voice has been very important, a very important step in my life. And it has opened something up for me that I never expected. And it has allowed me to incorporate a level of joy into my work that is difficult to express, except through music. And that's where I do it. (laughs) Talk about full circle and what a wrap. That's it. I mean, thank you for sharing so much about that and what it means to you. And you are such a an all-encompassing spirit, um, performer, teacher, mentor, coach, administrator. I mean, you do it all. Mm. And for me, the breadth of thought and worldliness that you bring to this is, is so un paralleled and rare amongst other people and that's true inspiration and so i can't thank you enough for speaking with me and sharing with everybody your ideas because they're so valuable and meaningful to everybody so stephanie thank you thank you you for giving me a platform i'm very grateful because uh talking about this stuff is very important to me and I'm, Mm -hmm. i'm i'm grateful to you and i'm grateful for the work that you do it's it's evident that uh, this all means a lot to you, and we're just glad that you're willing to share. Thank you, my friend. A huge thank you to Stephanie for sharing so much of her time with us. It's hard to choose just one of the stories or amazing pieces of advice she shared, but I always appreciate her inspiring yet realistic view on how we can collectively evolve the classical music world and be successful within the context of our 21st century world. What was your favorite part about this episode? Let me know when you rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help the show reach other song lovers, and isn't that what it's all about? Catch new episodes of Song Cycle every fourth Thursday of the month, wherever you podcast. Song Cycle is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about its network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. That's all for now, songsters. We'll see you next time.